welcome to Social Minute, the podcast that looks at social network minute by minute. Today we will be covering Minute 13, which goes from 12 to 12.59 on the clock and roughly, I think, 30-something seconds into this or uh, 20 seconds into it, somewhere around there, uh, we have the arrival of Andrew Garfield. Eduardo walks into the picture. Um, and I find it interesting because in the script he's described as Eduardo Saverin, a sweet-looking Brazilian sophomore wearing a three-piece suit, is rushing up the stairs two at a time. Uh, and that is his introduction. Uh, he talks a little bit with Mark about the breakup. Um, and then he gives them the algorithm, uh, the famous algorithm, which, of course, they decide to write on a window for some reason. <laughs> and we finish the minute with Eduardo actually saying... Do you think this is a good idea? I think I think actually he writes the algorithm in the next minute, but still, it's worth mentioning here that you know Mark actually says I need the algorithm earlier in the minute, so you mm. know it, we can kind of bring it up here a little bit. But we'll talk about writing on Windows on the next minute. Joining me to talk about today is Alex Gradet. Hello, Alex. Hello. I apologize in advance for the cough drop in my mouth and the cold in my head. Uh, yeah. So here we have the entrance of Eduardo Saverin, as portrayed by noted Brazilian actor. Andrew Garfield. Uh, <laughs> uh, now I'll say this much: um, before before this kind of uh, before this moment, uh, before he was in Social Network, I had actually seen um, every single film that he had starred in at the cinema. I'd seen Lions for Lambs, The Other Bolin Girl, uh, The Imaginarium of Doctor Parnassus, and earlier this year, Never Let Me Go uh, in two thousand ten. Uh, probably, I would say Never Let Me Go is easily one of my top five of, uh, of 2010. Yeah, it's uh, a real good movie. With Social Network. Yeah, it's a real, like, it's got some great actors in as well. Some really good performances. Kerry Mulligan, of course, a delight, um, as she always is. Um, mm. But yeah, and so I basically kind of really, I knew, like, more about Andrew Garfield than probably anybody else in this film other than Justin Timberlake. Like, mm. he was, he was like the main person that I knew about. And... So it takes him, you know, like we, you know, we're almost like 12, 12 minutes, 28 or something, I think, is when he finally arrives in the door. Mm. And like that is quite to, you know, if you think about the film, that is a long time to go before, you know, you actually get him in. And of course, in the trailer, he has the line of, you know, um, I'm coming back for everything. Like, so mm -hmm. he he's the one who kind of delivers what the premise of the film is really like. The, I'm going to sue you, and I'm going to get everything. Um, so it's interesting to see him come in here, and I like as well the performance that Andrew Garfield gives as he enters because he enters as a friend, mm -hmm. and he's concerned about the breakup. And you know, obviously at this point, Mark has been coding for three hours, and he's very drunk, and so he doesn't even he isn't even thinking about Erica Albright anymore. Mm -hmm. He's he's more concerned with this idea that they've that they've come up with and and that the last thing they need now he's got these like hundreds and hundreds of pictures is you know the the algorithm that uh that eduardo is gonna, gonna gonna give him and he actually says in the voiceover you know like eduardo will is bringing the final piece uh you know the key ingredient he mm -hmm. calls it i believe and i i can't i like as well how he you know when he says you know you and erica split up and mark's like how did you know that and he's like it's on your blog and <laughs> it's like i i, I kind of like how mark is like oh yeah like that was the start of his blog, like four or five hours ago, like was him opening up right, with Erica right. Albright is a bitch and here we are. And he's right. But he's he's three dimensional chest himself well beyond yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, like he doesn't even care anymore. One thing I really like that uh, I noticed on this last rewatch uh, for uh, this week's minutes. I, I always had it in my head kind of mistakenly that In Motion was the track throughout this five minute sequence. But actually it ends. It rings out 
right when Eduardo yeah, enters. Yeah, just as the door closes behind Eduardo, oh. that's the final note of emotion. But what's been interesting is it's been it's been such the like having having a good time being bad theme. Yeah. That when he comes in and literally shuts the door on it, you know, his his entrance is both uh, additive because he's the first person to actually sympathize with Mark over the breakup, but also uh, negative because it sort of lets the air out of the 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 mischief that that our uh, future billionaires have been. And I think it's interesting because like when you, when I think of this sequence, I always think of it as one long sequence where it's like, you know, the parties are going on, the coding's going on. We're cutting between the two. Right. And you forget that it kind of has this pause in the middle, uh, which again, it speaks, speaks to how good David Fincher is as a director that he knows you can't sustain what he's been doing for the last like three minutes for another four or five minutes. He has to take a small break to kind of take it in a slightly different direction for the kind of the next few minutes. It has a pause, and yeah, when we get back to the intercutting of the parties, uh, of the the finals club party, and um, and the guys around around Zuckerberg's laptop, um, it has a completely different tone. You know, yeah. it feels like it really does feel like a party that's gone on for too long, where everyone's a little too drunk or a little too high, and what was fun in the first half now starts to feel uh, have a little more edge to it, feel a little more. And uh, you know, the track that will start up. Uh... Because there is actually like um, that that kind of theme at the end of Emotion, the ding ding, kind of just plays at the mm-hmm. end, just as as Eduardo comes up. We then mm-hmm. go into a familiar taste, uh, which is probably I don't know if I'd say it's my favorite track. I don't know. I love everything on this this soundtrack, but uh, that guitar, yeah. that kind of guitar stuff on this is kind of like the kind of the the kind of wails of the guitar and the kind of choppiness and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. It, I don't know. It's just it. I'll talk about it more kind of in the next couple of minutes because that's where it really starts to build. But just the start of it here, where it's just kind of like the 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 very little kind of gentle build of like okay. Eduardo's here. He's going to give us the key ingredient, mm-hmm. and that is what's going to kind of make this come to life. That's what you know is going to happen. Um, and obviously, you know, the whole but like- that, that that key ingredient ferments the whole thing into something a little bit more sour, a little bit more edged, a little bit more, a little bit less of a good idea. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and obviously that is, that's kind of where this minute finishes as well, is with Eduardo saying, you think this is a good idea? And, you know, mm-hmm. obviously the original idea, as expressed on Zuck on it, um, was to have, um, you know, first of all, you know, the idea from Billy Olsen of comparing women with farm animals, and then they changed mm-hmm. it to, well, maybe only every other picture, you know, or once in every three pictures or something, a farm animal would come up just as a surprise, and then they completely get away from that of like not just comparing women, but comparing actual students from Harvard. And so with each kind yeah. of each kind of step, it kind of it ends up kind of like it starts out being kind of gross anyway. But then it kind of goes from just being gross and silly to being kind of more invasive with each gradual step. Um, and mm. then also we have this thing where I mean, I don't know how accurate this is, because uh, once you're not in the courtroom, it, you kind of left to the devices of whether or not Aaron Sorkin wanted to kind of, um, you know, do stuff. So uh, we end up with this mm-hmm. whole thing where yeah, I think this might be the first time where uh, Mark says to where he calls Eduardo Wado, um when he mm-hmm. first enters, which is, you know, again, like. Uh, he doesn't have nicknames for Dustin or or you know uh, the other guys. You know he only has this nickname for Eduardo, and it's it's also later on in the film when Eduardo arrives at the uh, the Palo Alto house. Um, you know mm-hmm. Dustin Moskovitz just kind of goes Wado, like and it, it it's mm-hmm. like a term of affection amongst all these guys in this dorm, and uh, you know this is the first time of it kind of being used. And I mean I don't know I I think it it like 
Mark Zuckerberg, if he can code drunk while blogging, I don't think he mm-hmm. needs this algorithm. Like, this is the one thing where it's kind of like, uh, this algorithm is so simple that, like, I don't, I think Mark Zuckerberg would already know it and he doesn't really need it. But we need this moment of Eduardo kind of getting involved in some way because otherwise he's just the voice of reason. You know, he's just the one saying, right. is, you know, other, sh- like, particularly when he goes, we're ranking girls. You know, Mark says that kind of mm-hmm. a bit gleefully. I like the delivery of, that Jesse Eisenberg has because. Um, you know, obviously he's portraying like a 19-year-old Mark Zuckerberg here. Later on in the film, he's kind of in his mm. mid-20s. But he has this kind of exuberance and kind of he's he's not playing drunk, but he's playing like someone right. who's having fun. And he's like, you know, we're mm-hmm. ranking girls. <laughs> and then Eduardo mm. has to kind of step in and be like, you mean other students? Mm-hmm. And Mark's just like, yeah. Mm. And that's when he says, do you think you know, think this is a good idea? Um, and then that's, you know, in the next minute, we'll talk about, you know, the algorithm and everything else that comes from there. But yeah, like the key ingredient is Eduardo's algorithm. But at the same time, I feel like I don't know how much of this is invention, but I just feel like Mark Zuckerberg would have easily known how to do this as like a formula. Like it's not it's not a difficult one to kind of come up. Yeah, with. no, I agree with that. And actually, I want to talk a little bit about the glee of um, ranking girls. It's funny because and this may be more of a reflection on me than anything else. I feel like this the, using using this sequence to demonstrate uh, an uh, an ethical crossroads is kind of interesting for 2010 uh, because it was I feel like notions of invasion of privacy have gotten so much more intense and obviously you know we've had these huge horrendous violations of like celebrities phones getting hacked and things like that. I feel like in 2010, there was a part of me that, uh, for this sequence just sort of skimmed, skipped over the surface. Like I could tell the movie was telling me what they were doing is bad. And I'm like, I can see how that's bad, but I feel like that wasn't yet wired into whatever ethical fabric there is of, of, uh, internet usage as little as there may be this notion like like that's a much more resonant notion now i think than when the movie was new yeah or maybe i was a piece of shit in 2010 i don't know uh, well i th- i feel like you have to ask your questions yourself the question and like if you got a link to face mash um you know would you mm-hmm. have been like you know i'll see what this is and you know and then would you have been tempted to just be like well maybe i'll just rate the first one and see what happens i can tell you that if i was college age when it happened i would unequivocally start playing yeah like just <laughs> i was not a good person well i i think i'm okay now but <laughs> i think as well it's interesting because they bring up hot or not.com like he actually says that in his blog in an earlier minute mm-hmm. where he says you know um he doesn't want to make it like hot or not.com um you know so obviously this was a thing that existed on the internet like this wasn't just um, out of the blue, him coming up with this idea. You know, this is something that already existed. Right. But his twist on it was rating people that were on campus. Like, that was... And right. that is obviously the bigger well, invasion of privacy than Hot or Not, which, of course, um, that website existed by you submitting your own pictures and then having people vote on them. Right. And then, obviously, you know, sending you into a spiral of shame and uh, and depression <laughs> as people rate you as a one or something. Sure. And, you know, thank God we've weeded that out of the online experience. <laughs> yes. It's, it's, I mean, today it's like being in, uh, in, you know, in, uh, some kind of wonderful utopia being online. It's, it's, it's brilliant. It's, we are, we are upstairs in the time machine. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So <laughs> like the idea of hot or not, obviously, you know, is people submit their own photos 
And then here, you know, obviously we've just seen Zuckerberg steal everybody's photos, basically, with the exception of a couple of houses that don't have online Facebooks or any reference to them. And and mm-hmm. so obviously it's like, you know, uh, we know what this is going to be. And, you know, Fincher is building this up because it's like, OK, you know what the next few minutes are going to be. We've just seen the kind of partying that's happening. We've seen these guys in the dorm room and the idea has already been kind of seeded. And it's like, OK, Eduardo's going to arrive. He's going to give us the key ingredient reluctantly it should be noted you know obviously eduardo is the only one who was interviewed for this uh for this for the book that kind of was the basis for this film so right. of course he he ends up being the saintly one who's like well maybe we shouldn't do this um <laughs> although right. he enthusiastically shouts left when the uh, when the site actually comes up so you know he's not all good um but yeah so yeah. you know fincher is kind of setting this up to be like okay this is what's going to happen and that's when the familiar taste kind of starts to come in and obviously in the next couple of minutes mm. we, we kind of get back to the party and um, but this little break i think is is quite clever by fincher because it's like the intensity that he's had for the last couple of minutes of here's this party you know here's here's mark zuckerberg kind of blogging while drunk you can't maintain that for mm-hmm. you know the five or six minutes that this whole thing was going to be cut, taken over so it, it's nice that he gives us this little break and then changes direction and then we're into you know we're into the the you know the party that's in this dorm going out to the rest of the you know the rest of harvard mm-hmm. and everyone kind of being complicit yeah. in this oh and i do want to say though uh one of my favorite favorite little touches in the whole movie is right here in this minute uh and that there are you know i feel like one of the uh one of the accusations get le- gets leveled against david fincher is he has a tendency his movies can maybe feel a little bit airless because he's so precise because he's such a perfectionist and does a bajillion takes of everything and then there's this one moment which has to have been a com- completely a happy accident or at least plays like it where mark who has been chewing on this dart uh, takes it and tosses it over his shoulder and it lands perfectly in Dustin Moskovitz's drink. And the look that Joseph Mazzello gives to the back of Jesse Eisenberg's head suggests that that was not planned. It wasn't rehearsed. It couldn't have been if you tried. It was. Just, it's just such a nice improvisational moment that injects some real uh, living energy into something that very easily could have just been this very techy, very chilly sequence. Uh, and I, I, I love it just for the look on Joseph Mazzello's face it's brilliant <laughs> and we skipped over it a little bit but in the previous minute there was uh, there's kind of all this background talk and someone says Shark Week's on and then they say yeah. they say what is it Beautiful Boy Bright Fish or something there's like a, a bit of kind of like nonsense <laughs> um, so yeah there's stuff like that going on in the background like like the kind of you know the dart in the mouth that kind of feels like something that Jesse Eisenberg obviously brought to the character and then that little throw yeah. when he finishes you know like yeah there's like little tiny moments in, in these minutes where it's not just kind of like the precision which you know given the amount of editing that's going on and the cuts between the different scenes and all that kind of stuff you know obviously it, it, there has to be a certain level of precision going on here um, so you know it's nice that there are those little moments have we shouted out uh, Kirk Baxter and Angus Wall yet because no we have not I mean yeah they're they are they are uh, by turns regular Fincher collaborators and they are like like Everybody uh, on this, including and particularly them, is just top of their game in this movie. Yeah. Uh, now, it's worth talking about Andrew Garfield. Obviously, uh, he... Mm, yeah, given, of course. Given, uh, you know, uh, he, he is from uh, he's from over here. Um, although, mm-hmm. oddly enough, he was born in Los Angeles. Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> and, and then raised over here. He went to... Uh, uh, he went to the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama, which I think was previously known as RADA. Um, and mm, mm-hmm. uh, then straight from there, he um, he he went to, uh, you know, he was in a, a TV series called Sugar Rush over here in 2005. 
uh, where mm-hmm. he played a, a boy called Tom. Um, and I remember seeing him in that uh, before he was in any films. And then he did a, a film called uh, Boy A. Uh, and then also he was in the miniseries Red Riding, which, you know, also got a bit of play, mm-hmm. I think, in America before he then went on to do Lions for Lambs and, you know, the rest of it. Um, and then obviously, sure. you know, he uh, he became Spider-Man <laughs> for, for a couple of films. Um, for a minute, yeah. yeah. Um, and then the, uh, the, weird, yeah. the weirdest thing is since I'd seen every single one of his films up until Spider-Man 2, and since Spider-Man 2, I haven't seen any of his films at the cinema. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, you know, which I mean, Hacksaw Ridge I would never see because of the director. Uh, Silence didn't yeah. really interest me. I'm not really a Martin Scorsese fan per se, but you know, if he when he does a good film, I don't mind it. But I'm not just going to see every single Scorsese film. You're not going to chase him no. all over. No. Yeah, unlike David Fincher, I'll watch anything that David Fincher directs. You know, um, sure, sure. And then he did this film called Breathe, which came out last year about this guy who was, you know, kind of basically invented a way for people in wheelchairs to not die. Oh right, yeah. that's the Andy Circus movie, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know that looked strange well yeah uh, the weird thing like it's about um, you know a guy inventing a respirator basically that that was portable Mm -hmm. Um, now I I mean that film looked okay but I you know I was like I I don't know I wasn't completely like uh, kind of like those types of stories where it's like okay the guy must have you know like the whole film makes out like he's gonna die but it's like well he must obviously live because Mm -hmm. he invents Mm -hmm. something that saves tons of lives you know like so I wasn't particularly drawn to that, but I am most likely going to once if it if it ever gets a release over here in a cinema where I can see it, uh, I will certainly see Under Silver Lake because I do love uh, David Robert Mitchell. I think he's a great director. Uh, he's only directed two other films, yeah. and I love both of those films. So, <laughs> so um, you know, I'll see anything that David Robert Mitchell has directs. You know, like uh, unfortunately, his pace seems to be one film every four years. Uh, so I wish he would work a little bit quicker, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that looks like that's going to be a great film. Yeah. I saw the trailer for that a while ago and thought it looked really intriguing. And yeah, I, I know it's, it's much delayed and I think it sort of fell off the slate and then came back on and then, well, we'll see, won't we? And as far as Andrew Garfield, uh, I, I think social network was the first thing I saw him in. I know I have seen, uh, never let me go, but I think that was after, uh, after social network. So that made him a, a really sort of an interesting and unknown quantity in this. And I think he does amazing work in this movie, he does really great work. Um, and uh, which and uh, you you make an interesting point that because he uh, cooperated with Ben Mesrich on the book, that may be why he gets a, a fair showing in this. But he, again, doesn't come off great. Like, like. Again, we were talking about like David Fincher being uh, I was talking about him being a great documenter of uh, poorly behaved people. And I think he doesn't let anybody off the hook in this one that, you know, that a couple of very particular decisions that Eduardo makes might put him ahead of the crowd in terms of ethics. But he's still probably not a great person, just a great person in this batch. Um, (laughs) Yeah, Uh... I will say this a very strange thing. And the script calls it out and. Later on, it comes up in the text a lot. I've never fully grasped the usage of suits in this movie because it feels like he... I mean, obviously, he dresses... He's a sharper dresser than um, than than hoodie and board shorts uh, Zuckerberg. But, like, by the time you get Sean Parker coming into it, who's also a super sharp dresser, I'm, I'm not sure that that's, that's a recurring point that never really lands for me. I feel like... 
he's meant to be on some level starchier or more investment bankery than them, but he's dressed very stylishly. Uh, I really like his suits in this. And Andrew Garfield, uh, I, I suppose being built like uh, like a clothes hanger helps, but, you know, um, can wear a suit. Yeah, I, I, well, yeah, I think that's the problem is, like, people try to put him down for his choice of suit or whatever, but it's like, I don't know, Andrew Gofford looks pretty good. <laughs> like, like, yeah, he looks whatever, great, wherever he's like, wearing. all the time. Uh, I think there's a thing, and this this comes up kind of, you know, a lot, you know, later on in the, the, the AE Pie minutes where, um, you know, he's dressed in a mm-hmm. Hawaiian short and, you know, Hawaiian shirt and shorts. Mm-hmm. Uh, what it feels like with Eduardo is he's someone who dresses you know, uh, to kind of hide, you know, where he's come from, because obviously his family's meant to be, you know, fairly wealthy, but Brazilian immigrants. And, you know, like, so there's a certain kind of level of him kind of dressing almost like to blend in. So when he's at the A.E. Pie thing and he's dressed like, you know, as, as everybody else is, uh, you know, Mark wanders in and he's not dressed for the party. Like, whereas, you know, Eduardo is the kind of person who will put on like a straw hat and, mm-hmm. you know, will actually kind of dress for what he's meant to dress like. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I think that's just something that also throughout the rest of the film, whenever we're in the depositions as well, Eduardo is always dressed in really good looking suits. Mm-hmm. Whereas obviously, you know, Zuckerberg is always dressed down. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's because, you know, that's that's his trademark, isn't mm-hmm. it? <laughs> you know, that's that's meant to be like what distinguishes the, the kind of the super wealthy is. Yeah. Them don't care how they dress uh, whereas everybody else is very concerned with kind of like their class and where they they sit and everything yeah he's very uh, he's but, very you know, talking... conscious of that stuff yeah yeah and i think andrew garfield like he you know he comes in here and he is kind of very kind of like tender and friendly and like you know he's willing to talk about the breakup but obviously at this point mm-hmm. zuckerberg is drunk and mm-hmm. rating girls and so like i think that's and I, you know i think as well jesse eisenberg and andrew garfield uh, to me it's a pity like they never like they haven't been in um uh, you know in in other stuff since because i think they really work well together um mm-hmm. and you know it would have been it would be nice if somebody would cast them together in a film again yeah. so we could see them work together because i think they really carry the majority of this film you know as, like as a duo mm-hmm. um you know starting off as friends and then obviously you know gradually kind of getting into the court stuff and everything like that so. oh do they have a falling out in this do they they don't stay friends <laughs> to the end yes yeah, sp- spoiler alert oh, things kind of change with this relationship yeah i know cards on the we table thought i've only watched out. i've only watched through minute 13 of this so <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean talking more broadly about david fincher i mean you know obviously uh i've, I've already said many times i've mm-hmm. already seen i've seen this film in the cinema five times you know i've seen uh, Gone Girl a few times. I saw, you know, Fight Club 7, Game, mm. Panic mm-hmm. Room. I saw them all at the cinema. Basically, everything since 7, I've always seen of David Fincher's in the in the cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I saw uh, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, like, opening Boxing Day when it came out, mm-hmm. that Boxing Day, and they, they were, like, setting it up as this kind of, like, anti-Christmas movie. I, I, we, we did the same thing. We saw it uh, Christmas Day when it came out, and the only thing I, I the, the thing that I truly remember about it there's a very nice little old lady coming down the aisle and sitting next to me. And then the moment before it starts, she turns to the person she's with and is like, what's this movie about? And the lights just dim on my <laughs> on my thought bubble that says, oh, no. <laughs> uh, did she stay past some of the stronger stuff or did she? Uh, she was she, a, she was she was a trooper. To my recollection, she stayed yeah. the whole dang time. Yeah. And that's a long film as well. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> you feel every inch yeah. of it. Too. So, <laughs> yeah. So um, are there. Uh, so would you say there are other Fincher films that you uh, that you uh, that you, uh, you know, you enjoy or, uh, you know, 
uh, Sword of the Cinema, or is this the only film of his that you like? No, I uh, I've been I've been a fan of his since Seven, uh, and then went back and said, oh, these music videos that I've loved for years were all his, and of course they were. Um, you know, I think he's uh, he's the other side of the coin from Michael Bay, where you've got um, someone very dedicated to their to their own personal style, uh, but I think the ways that Fincher reuses elements and the ways that he bring, he expands on elements um, movie over movie, I think is really brilliant. It's actually, I, I love more of his movies than I don't love. Um, uh, Fight Club. I did not see in theaters and I kind of, I genuinely wish I had. Um, I watched the hell out of it as we all did in the very late nineties, very early aughts. Um, and that was one that it took me a long time to realize, oh, this is a comedy making fun of everything it touches. Uh, and I, of course, have a pretty, I think like a lot of people have a pretty complicated relationship with it now because in no small part, we are in this global K-hole that we're in because a generation of young men can't figure out the difference between um, between uh, showcasing something and glorifying it. Um and uh, that Tyler Durden is wrong 100% of the time. You heard it here, uh, not at all first. Um, but Fight Club's a favorite of mine. It's just a hard watch now because I feel like it brings a lot of baggage to it. Um, Zodiac, I think, I mean, is... Here's, uh, here's the thing that I love mm, about Fight Club, mm, which is 90 minutes into it, uh, uh, Edward Norton punches the crap out of Jared Letter's face. That part's good too. I should I you should know? really revisit yeah. that in the new, in the new yeah. era of uh, Jared Leto. Yeah. <laughs> um, Zodiac yeah. is another one that jumps right to the head of the line for me. Uh, I think it's, I uh, uh, as movies about investigations go, my favorites are um, uh, President's Men, of course, uh, Zero Dark Thirty, and Zodiac. I think are the three movies that really get to the core of what it is to investigate something to the point of obsession. Um, it yeah. is, it, and Zodiac goes down pretty smooth for being about some really challenging stuff. Uh, it's just beautifully made and has uh, pushes, he pushes, Fincher pushes his technique in some really amazing directions. Um, I think ultimately the only ones of his, I don't love Benjamin Button. I, I was really sort of, <laughs> I was let down by that uh, because it seemed to me at the end of the day that what he was most interested in was using it as, a sort of demo reel for techniques he could use in stories he was more invested in. Uh, and Gone Girl, I thought was good, but I've only seen it the once. I should probably revisit that. Um, and uh, But yeah, I think he's terrific. And uh, whatever he goes to see will in all likelihood be worth seeing because of his involvement in it. I think Gone Girl works a second time really well because when you have that opening line of, you know, sometimes I want to smash my wife's head open and, mm. you know, see what she's thinking. Mm -hmm. uh, when it's played a second time, it's like, Oh, that like it's it's like the opposite. It's not it's not what you think it is. It's right. Like, you know, he's not like it's 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 him saying I want to know what she's scheming about rather than I want to. I want to murder her. Yeah. So it plays it plays completely different a second time through. Yeah, I might have to give that one another go around. Yeah, and Fight Club. I saw that in the cinema. Um, I could have seen it a second time in the cinema, but. <laughs> I had already seen four films that day, and this would have, that would have been my fifth film of the day. Mm. And I kind of regret not just staying around for like ten more minutes for Fight Club to start and seeing it a second time. Yeah, in yeah, yeah. Because seeing seeing that twist hit in an audience was just a like it's one of those things you can't forget. Like obviously, you know, twenty years down the line, everyone kind of knows it, but being in a cinema on that day and getting to that moment, and everyone in the cinema just being kind of like, 
what the like <laughs> literally like the feeling that's on screen where the narrator is like you know kind of shocked himself that's the audience they're like i don't know what's happening now yeah <laughs> like i don't understand it what's going mm-hmm. on like there's you can feel it and I, I could certainly feel it in the audience and i was just like what it like what is this film like once you get to that point, everything kind of changes. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, you know, they're all kind of amazing. Uh, I, and nobody seems to like Benjamin Button, but I really like Benjamin Buttons. And uh, I'm you know, glad it's I got you the opening up for sequence. The opening sequence with the backwards clock, uh, I always find to be really moving. Mm-hmm. Like the whole idea of like, you know, this guy wanting clocks to run backwards so his son will come back to life. And, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I think that's kind of a touching idea. Um, and also, you know, some people feel it's kind of a bit sentimental. But as I've said to other people, it's a, it's a film where a senile baby dies <laughs> knowing that he's going to die in the arms of Kate Blanchett. Like... It, it doesn't get more brutal than a baby knowing his own mortality. Like that's when you've, like, when you've you know, framed it as, that way. Sure. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I do, I do also like the kind of middle third of the film where you have the main love story between, um, you know, Kate Blanchett mm-hmm. and Brad Pitt. I think they work really well together. Like Brad Pitt, you know, until he did seven, I thought he was a terrible actor. I'm in the same seven, boat with like, you until, until yeah, I realized I that even including seven, and then I think some years later, probably after Fight Club, I came back to said, "Oh, he's he's doing he's he's just playing an empty person. Like he's yeah." I, yeah. I was so convinced for so long that's that's who he was. When it turns <laughs> out, no, if he's just bored, he looks bored. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean that and Twelve Monkeys the same year. It was like, oh, Brad Pitt knows how to act. Yeah. Like he's. Up until this point, he seemed like a terrible person and not very good at acting, but he actually knows what he's doing. Um, I, I'd like to see yeah, that, Kate Blanchett and David Fincher work together again, not just because I want to see work from both oh, yeah, of them, yeah. of course. But I think they're both very precise, and that precision um, uh, would play off each other very well. I think the other, um, you know, as I've been talking about, uh, David Fincher is our finest purveyor of uh, poorly behaved men. Uh, I think our finest performer of poorly behaved men probably is Oscar Isaac, who I think would probably uh, bring some pretty great guns to a David Fincher movie. I'd be curious to see what their collaboration might be like. Yeah. I mean, people forget about Benji Buttons as well. Mm-hmm. That there is a uh, there's a sequence where they describe the accident. Oh, I love that. And that's, they're like, yeah, that, that and that's and, and it's cut and it's cut together so well. And it's like so precise and. There's like the whole thing of if this person had got up a minute later and they didn't do this thing and then that, and it kind of builds and builds and builds and as it's going on you kind of know oh well, there's something like this is building to something That's... and that you kind of feel the dread of like oh my god I know what's going to happen and you kind of want to stop it and it and it and it kind of as it gets to that moment you're like oh no like it's kind of you know you really kind of feel the pain. Uh, a friend of mine, an old writing partner of mine, uh, a, a journalist by the name of Rick Paulus, uh, he and I used to go round and round on David Fincher because he he swore up and down Zodiac was David Fincher's best. I swore it was Fight Club. I've since come to to Rick's point of view on it, uh, but he was writing an article. I forget for what publication, but he wanted to talk about movies that had seemingly unrelated uh, short films in the middle of them that no matter how they were woven into the narrative, there was something about the sequence that made it a standalone thing. And we talked a lot about, um, about that Benjamin Button sequence with uh, if only his shoelace had been tied or whatever that was, because it takes on yeah. a whole different yeah. life from the rest of the movie. Although there is there is the thing of the guy being struck by lightning and he keeps kind of coming back. Yeah, and, there's those elements saying, too. Oh, it, and there's the, like there's so many little kind of bits and pieces that kind of build to like the fight. Like there's a point in the film where you realize, 
oh, he, you know, he's he's like gradually becoming senile, but his body is getting younger, mm-hmm. and that's the worst combination. Yeah. Like at the beginning of the film, it's kind of charming that he's like this kind of ugly baby who looks like an old man, but by the end of the film, you realize that the opposite, like an old man trapped in a baby's body, yeah. is probably the worst thing, and it's like you know, someone who can't speak or articulate anything, but has all these memories. And, you know, I don't know. I just, I really enjoy that film. And, uh, you know, every year I kind of rewatch all of, of David Finch's oh, wow. films, you know, from start to finish. And uh, by the time I get to Benjamin Button, like it's, there's a, there's a lot of sequences in it that are kind of, you know, really kind of interesting. And, and, you know, it's some of Brad Pitt's best stuff, you know, mm-hmm. like he's, I think David Fincher always makes Brad Pitt like a better actor. Yeah. Like he just seems to know, kind of uh, him and Steven Soderbergh seem to understand what Brad Pitt is there to do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if you watch Ocean's Eleven, like aside from the fact that Brad Pitt just loves eating, which is always such a funny thing to me. Um, <laughs> he just, I just love how he's kind of got away with that for many, many mm-hmm. years. But if you, if you see like the stuff that he does in there when, you know, when he's playing off George Clooney and he's playing this kind of second banana mm-hmm. and it, it, you know, he it's, it's like, Oh, Brad Pitt, you know, he knows what he's doing. He knows the role he's got to give. And, mm-hmm. you know, by the time it got to like burn after reading and the Coens are like making him into this kind of buffoon. Yeah. Like it's, it's clear that Brad Pitt has like got a full grasp, but yeah, when he's bored, Brad Pitt is probably one of the worst actors to watch. <laughs> Cause when he doesn't care, it just comes straight through the screen where it's like, he'd rather be somewhere else. Yeah. He just, um, he, he can know. come off as out of his depth, but I feel like, like, like you said, Fincher and Soderbergh are like his best collaborators. I would love him to get back to work with either or both. Yeah, I mean, if David Fincher could, you know, get Brad Pitt back in a film, that'd be great for his next movie. What is David Fincher even doing apart from Netflix? Oh, he was gonna do he was gonna do the World War Z sequel, but then he's dropped out of that. Fortunately, oh no, I hadn't heard that. So, Hmm. um, but uh, yeah, he's he's since dropped out of that. But I said I feel like we said about as much as we can about this minute and David Fincher. So. Uh, let's go to plugs. Is there anything that you wish to plug, Alex? Uh, gosh, yeah. If you um, if you were so inclined, my my dog, uh, who has been periodically poking her nose in on our recording session here, although has been uh very uh, respectful, you could follow her on Twitter if you like. Uh, you can uh, you can follow her at the Schmabel T H E S H M A B E L. She does not post super often, but she has some pretty good insights about what it's like to be a dog in this in uh, the San Fernando Valley. <laughs> you can find us on MySpace at myspace.com/slash/thesocialminute, or on Twitter at social underscore minute, or on Facebook at the Social Minute Podcast. Thanks for walking with my guest today, Alex. Hey, my pleasure, man. And otherwise, we'll see you tomorrow.